The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. It's an old-fashioned saying. Learn from the past and look to the future. On my day, people never quite got the hang of it. I hope you have better luck. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, October 8th, 2020. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be Learn from the past and look to the future, says the futuristic Buck Rogers of the 25th century. And here we are, Salim, in the 21st century, and we seem to be rewriting our past and abandoning our future. Would you say that's a good picture of what we're going through today? Yeah, it's a good picture, Bob. But first of all, let me thank you. <laughs> it's been quite some time that I've been sitting across from you. Where has the summer gone? <laughs> That's for sure. Where has the year gone? Where has the year well, gone? Well, that's something we'll be talking about right after we remind our listeners that they can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform and visit us at www.justrightmedia.org where you can access all of Just Right social media links and our archive broadcasts. As always... Consider offering your financial support. Everyone who donates $25 or more will receive a copy of our 52-page full-color publication, Climate Essentials, written by one of our regular guests, Dave Plum. And I am honored once again today to have in studio Dr. Salim Mansour, Professor Emeritus of Political Science at Western University. And Salim, it's been a long year and yet a short year in a funny sort of way, hasn't it? Yes, and here we are, running out of 2020, and less than a month, just a few weeks before the election in the United States, and we find the October surprise came very early. President uh, Trump tested positive for COVID-19. Yes, things things have been very bumpy this whole year, and and we might see the bumps will become even sharper as the Democrat Party, with its paramilitary forces, the Black Lives Matter and the Antifa, and of course the corporate media, the mainstream media that is uh, bought and sold by the billionaire oligarch, have been running a non-stop campaign of smear attacks falsification, fake news against President Trump. And this will, I think, only escalate in the remaining weeks and days that we have before the people go to vote. You know, it was haunting when when you and I last sat here in person together. That was back on February 20th, believe it or not. And we were just coming off the great victory of Brexit having gone through. Trump had just given his great speech addressed to the nation, and everything was looking really good. And I remember asking you, so with all this good news, you see any dark clouds on the horizon? And the first thing you brought up was this thing called coronavirus and the COVID thing. And I have to tell you, honestly, Salim, at the time, I thought you were a little out of your mind. (laughs) (laughs) 
I thought, what is he bringing this up for? I mean, it's in the news. They were talking about it in China. But to actually think it was going to affect us to the degree that it has, that just didn't seem possible to me. And yet within, what, a week or two after that, we were in the midst of it. And once again, Salim Mansour gives us a prediction that comes true that began on this show. It began way back years ago when you predicted Trump would be winning and everyone else was saying, no, that's not possible. Do you still think he's going to win? Yeah, I'm confident he's going to win. He's going to win. He's going to get reelected. For me, the question is, to what extent the coattail effect of President Trump will bring about a, a flip in the House of Representatives uh, that uh, the Republicans can take it over from Nancy Pelosi as the Speaker and maintain the Republican majority in the Senate. If that were to happen, that the Republicans retake the House of Representatives and maintain the Senate majority, then the next four years of President Trump's second term will be a matter of immense interest for all of us who have been watching uh, the past four years and who have seen how the deep state have engaged the deep state, the uniparty system, both the Democrats and the Republican name only. Republican uh, establishment politician out to get President Trump from the moment he came down famously on that mid-June Trump Tower escalator with uh, Melania Trump, came down the escalator to announce that he will be seeking the nomination for the Republican Party in the 2016 election. And as he pointed out, Bob, in the first presidential debate of this election season, when the subject of transition came up, whether President Trump will accept the result of the election, the subtext of the question was that President Trump has been speaking about the concern about the fraud in the mail-in ballots Mm -hmm. and that the Democratic Party is engaged in mounting that mail-in ballot where there will be a lot of fraud taking place. And so he has been voicing that concern in public in his rallies. And so the question arose whether President Trump will respect the result if the result goes against him. And Biden, of course, the Democratic nominee, talked about, you know, Whatever the result is, he's going to respect that result that that he would like to see if he wins a peaceful transition, an orderly transition. And then the president replied, what about the transition? He never had a transition. That right from the moment he came down the escalator, the Democrat Party and its allies were out to, and these are the words he used, let me me say it, because I have them right here, I printed it out. There was no transition, because they came after me trying to do a coup. They came after me spying on my campaign. They started from the day I won, and even before I won. From the day I came down the escalator with our first lady, they were a disaster. They were a disgrace to our country. He's so right. We have followed that. I have written about that. I've spoken about that on your show or on, on some of the videos that I have done with Robert Vaughn, that the Democratic Party never accepted the result of the 2016 election. Well, it looks like they're planning to not accept this one, too, because this is coming out of their camp. Quote, don't be surprised if it looks like Trump will have a landslide on election day, but wait till the rest of the ballots are counted. And they're talking about this silly campaign of mailing in ballots, which I think is a, it's an obscenity as far as democracy goes. 
Absolutely. And, and, and the Democrats are known for stealing election, for fraud. You know, I mean, the most famous, famous case of the Democratic Party stealing election is dead people voting. And the most famous instance of dead people voting was the 1960 election in Cook County, Chicago, where John Kennedy won the county over Nixon. It was a difference of something like 100,000 votes, I believe, which led to Kennedy's election over Nixon. So the Democrats are known for that. In the 2016 election, the Democrats were supremely confident that Hillary Clinton will win. I mean, their, their media kept the push poll going that Hillary was leading uh, Donald Trump by double digits right into the day of the election. And then it took a pretty long evening, if you remember, almost up to midnight before they announced that uh, President Trump had the electoral votes the Electoral College votes, and that he was the president-elect. This time, their strategy is to run the mail-in ballot counting in such a manner that there will be no announcement of the election result on the evening of November 3rd, and it might very well go on for several weeks. I mean, are, we, that are we sure of that? Because Trump has just reported that several recent court decisions on mail-in ballots have already rendered decisions that he supports. And he's already got decisions back. For example, they cannot count any votes after Election Day. Forget it. Signatures have to be notarized and, you know, assured that they're there. So, so far, that's looking good if they can get that through all the states. Well, well, all of that might be looking good, but the key issue is, remember, the 2000 election, which went into the Supreme Court, the Florida count, Oh, yeah, and the, it the took, Chad thing. It took several weeks. It went into, I think, it was into late December before the Supreme Court announced that uh, the results of the election, the Florida count, was in favor of George Bush by a very narrow margin, and George Bush was declared the winner. So the question of whatever may be the courts in the states uh, come down with, the the Democrats will be engaged in litigation. And, I, and I'm sure President Trump and the Republican Party are also prepared for that. But the matter will likely head into the Supreme Court as what happened in 2000. Yes. Thank you, Kelly. Uh, as you know, the president has criticized the mail-in voting process quite a bit over the last few weeks. The other day he said they found a lot of ballots in a river. Who is they? Um, so the, what the president was referring to are um, something that we've seen just in the last seven days where in Wisconsin uh, there were trails of May ending up in a ditch. I, that's, I believe, the specific he was referring to. Um, and that included we're, absentee ballots. We're, we're specifically, in this particular statement, though, who is they that found those ballots? And where is this river anywhere in this country? The local authorities. It was a ditch in Wisconsin that they were found. And I can get the article oh, to your inbox if you like. And, and beyond that. If, if he misspoke, that's fine. No, so that's, he meant, that's, he, he I meant believe, a ditch. He meant a, a, that's a, what a the president ditch was referring to. River. And you're really, you're missing the forest for the trees here. The point is. No, I, I, like, I cover the, the news. And is, I like to report accurately in the news. And when the president says they found a lot of ballots in a river, I simply want to know where the river is. No, you 
simply want to ignore the fact of the matter. Again, I got asked so many questions about respond. this in my, my Fox affiliates. Where is this river? Allow and me I can't to give them an accurate you. information. Allow me and to that's respond. why I'm asking you. This is, this is what is happening here. You are ignoring the problem here, which is last week in Pennsylvania, you had ballots found in a ditch. That is a fact. In Wisconsin, seven military ballots, all marked for Trump, were found cast aside. There are problems with mass mail-in vo voting. I under—I actually don't understand the lack of journalistic curiosity in reporting on this. There used to be the there used to be curiosity. Where's in fact, the, the Washington Post, before President Trump uh, highlighted the problems with mail-in voting, they said the result was an unexpected stress test of mail balloting systems when this was tried, many of which were designed to handle only a small portion of the vote and are not ready to scale up in response to the pandemic. So the media once said no mail-in voting is not ready to scale up in the middle of a pandemic. Now there's no journalistic curiosity there's when we're no finding Trump asking you about it. cast aside. There's no journalistic curiosity when a hundred thousand I'm asking you where the river is and you can't give an were sent out if, you, if you say the president uh, they were made a ditch, and then then say you made a ditch. More. I just want to know where the river is. And lack of journalistic curiosity. I'm yes. very curious. Where's the river? Yes. That's curiosity. Okay, Senator Kim Scott uh, said the president misspoke at the debate on white supremacy. Did he misspeak? And uh, has he spoken? To when Senator the president Scott? denounced white supremacy and said, sure, no, he did not misspeak. Among another um, number of items uh, where he wants to prosecute the KKK as domestic terrorists and make lynching um, a federal crime. Again, all of that lost upon the media as they misreport, take out of context, ignore the verbatim words of this president uh, when he denounced white supremacy yesterday, when he denounced it at the debate, when he's denounced it more than any other president um, in modern history. Um, and in fact, something else lost upon the media is the absolute turning of a blind eye to anti. Uh, carrying the water for Democrats, the media, it apparently agrees with Jerry Nadler that Antifa violence is a myth. Um, in August Senate hearings, Democrats refused to condemn Antifa. Again, no journalistic curiosity here, despite the fact that Andy Najot, uh, who was a victim of Antifa, said Democrats have mastered, Democrats, he should add the media too, have mastered the art of making its violence appear innocuous. Um, their violence isn't innocuous. Antifa is not an idea. Um, Andy Najot can tell you that because he was beaten by a group of protesters, Antifa protesters, suffering brain bleed. Another man can tell you this, who in 2019, the victim, his name was Adam Kelly, suffered from a concussion and got 25 staples in his head, but still silence from Democrats, ignoring this group from Democrats. I mean, in fact, as we just saw recently, there was a Trump supporter who was killed by a 100% Antifa man. That is how he described himself. And again, no reporting here, but I guess I did the job of the media by getting this information myself. Uh, this man who was 100% Antifa, this man, in fact, had been arrested before at 2 a.m. on July 5th in a public protest carrying an illegal weapon. He resisted arrest. Uh, he was taken to jail where he was merely given a citation, put back on the streets. And the very next month, this 100% Antifa man was lying in wait before he killed an innocent Trump supporter. Ideas do not target police officers. Ideas do not burn down buildings. Ideas do not kill innocent Americans. Organizations do. And Democrats should condemn the shameful group in the same manner President Trump continues to condemn white supremacy. He's not condemning white supremacy. He's not condemning white supremacy.
So, Salim, on past broadcasts, you've brought up this phenomenon that related to Germany and Hitler during the last World War that you called Gotterdammerung. And you discussed it with Robert, and we've mentioned it on our show in the past. You still see that process underway? Well, I not only see the process underway, I don't see there has been any cessation of that process. Well, they, they, they look like they're imploding and, and destroying themselves in the process. And I heard one commentator suggest that having Joe Biden as their leader is like a throwaway leader that they picked on purpose because they're planning to destroy that party from within anyway. Well, Does what that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, what has happened to the Democratic Party? The Democratic Party is not the party of the John F. Kennedy anymore. The Democratic Party is not the party that uh, stood for American values in terms of constitutional republic and all that it represents. Uh, Democratic Party is not anymore the party that understood that partisanship ends at the water, at the coast, and together the, the Democrats and the Republicans represent America to the rest of the world. The Democratic Party is not the party of Bernie Sanders. It's the party of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, of Rashida Taleb, of Ilhan Omar. In other words, the Democratic Party has shifted so far to the left that the Democratic Party is basically what the progressivists have been pushing for. It is a party of socialism, if not outright communism. This is the transformation that Obama was committed to, you know, I mean, when he called himself the transformational president, you know, when he got elected in 2009. When he got elected in 2009, I mean, here, let's put put this in, in, in the context of what has happened. The eight years of George Bush 43 presidency, that was the Republican presidency, came to an end in 2008 with the election of a Democrat a transformational figure, as he described himself. And now the Democrats held the White House. It held the House. There was uh, The House had flipped in the 2006 midterm election, and Nancy Pelosi had become the Speaker. And in the midterm election of 2006, uh, the Republicans lost uh, the Senate majority, and that too had flipped to the Democrat with Harry Reid as the uh, majority leader. So what you had, and this is so important to understand, is there was a complete control of all the levers of government by the Democrats. That is the White House, the Congress, and the Senate. The question was only whether they were going to be able to get enough Supreme Court justices in mm-hmm. uh, through nomination. And, and that's what came up. It came up, uh, Obama appointed two left-wing justices, Justice Sotomayor, a, a Latin American or Hispanic woman, and Judge Alina Kagan, uh, another left-wing judge. Obama wanted to see that Ruth Bader Ginsburg the iconic uh, left-wing justice, you know, uh, step down, retire, so that he could appoint another one, and that would then consolidate the numbers in the Supreme Court with the liberal justices. And that means all branches of government would be completely packed with uh, progressivist Democrats. And their aim and agenda is open. It was open then, it is open now. They want to see America become a post-constitutional, 
post-Republican state, basically a sort of a parliamentary democracy in which a majority can turn everything upside down. I mean, if you remember in 2009 when uh, Obamacare was passed, that is the Affordable Care Act was passed by the House and voted in the Senate, not a single Republican voted for that bill. Mm -hmm. And when Nancy Pelosi was asked what is in the bill, she famously replied, well, you're going to see what is in the bill once you have passed it. Yeah, I remember that. You remember that? Yeah. <laughs> so this was the beginning. I mean, the beginning of the transformation of America under the Democrats, a new generation of Democrats, you know, with Obama in the White House, Pelosi in the Speaker's chair, Harry Reid as a Senate Majority Leader. They expected, they were absolutely confident that... Obama will be succeeded by Hillary Clinton. That would give Obama automatically a third term mm -hmm. and that Hillary Clinton will push along the transformation of America into the direction that we can now look and see. One, it is that the Democrats embrace globalism. You know, so the entire globalist agenda was also the democratic agenda, whether it is the climate change issue, whether it is open borders, migration, immigration, whether it is about trade deals, you know, so, with so China. Can, so can the Democratic Party even be considered a national party anymore because they seem to be adopting the platforms and policies of the UN and of Davos and all of those other meetings? They seem to be a puppet, not a party. No, it is, it is, it is that they, the Democratic Party, would lead the transformation of world politics in yeah. the globalist direction. And the agenda of the Democratic Party uh, under the banner of the UN flag would also become the agenda of the United States. That's the post-constitutional, post-Republican United States that is the desire and the indication of the Democratic Party. Now, you might ask the question whether this is consistent with the record of American history and politics and culture, and the answer is obviously no. And the answer is obviously no in the sense the United States is now a extremely divided society. And you can see that between the coastal blue states, California, which has basically now become a one-party state since the 1970s. And the last time you had a Republican governor from California was uh, Ronald Reagan and Pete Wilson. Ronald Reagan went on to become the president, but, you know, that was it. The Golden State has now become a one-party state. I mean, with the Democratic governor, Democratic senators, Democratic congressmen, you know, open border, climate change. And the same thing is with New York, and that's the West Coast and the East Coast. So America is extremely divided between those who are still traditionally oriented, that is the flyover country, the red states, and the blue states. And the Democrats may make no bones about it. And you can see that, for instance, in the issue of COVID-19 or coronavirus, how the blue states have responded with lockdowns and authoritarian measures in contrast to the red states, which have basically opened up. I mean, Florida is open for business. Georgia is open for business. Whereas the greatest city in the Western world, New York, has been turned into in a sort of a wasteland. 
by whom? By democratic leaders. Mm-hmm. The democratic governor, uh, Andrew Cuomo, the, the, the mayor of New York, Blasio. So their agenda is, is very, very clear. Their agenda is a socialist agenda. Well, that's very clear, but I, I, I don't know that I, I can agree with many people who keep saying, well, this is, this is a new Democratic Party. It's not like the old Democratic Party. I would say they're both the same Democratic Party. It's always been the same. Slavery was attached to the Democratic Party from day one, and I don't know why they don't keep saying that. I often tell people when they ask me, what's the difference between socialism and communism? And I tell them, well, socialism's when you jump off the cliff, and communism's when you hit bottom. And this is really the only process I saw within the left-wing movement. It's just been moving in this direction all the time. And a democratic party in the U.S. today, this one has no qualms about cheating in the election, no qualms about changing the rules in the middle of the game, no qualms about creating... They want to create new states and give them another seat in, the, in, in both the Senate and, I imagine, in uh, Congress, too. They're changing the rules as they're playing the game, and a party like that could never be trusted, not even amongst themselves. How are they ever going to have any sort of constitutional structure in, within a philosophy like that? It's not possible, yeah, as I see it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, uh, it is all true, but if you put it in, in historical terms, the Democratic Party had a northeastern wing of, of Democrats, sure. uh, you know, based in New England, that is Massachusetts, New York, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Maine, etc. And the Democrats from the South, that is the Democrats of the Confederate States, you know. So the Democrats of the Confederate States were exactly as you talked about. I mean, they, they were the supporters of segregation. They were the supporters of the KKK, of the Jim Crow laws, you know. They had lost the Civil War, but they maintained those positions till they were basically driven out uh, from power in the South as the politics changed from about mid-1960s with the civil rights movement and the anti-Vietnam War movement. Most of the southern states flipped over for the Republicans. But the Democrat leadership and the Democrat institutional politicians of the South, the George Wallaces, the Robert Byrds, and others, they were still there. But they and the Northeastern Republicans, uh, Northeastern Democrats, the coalition they had, slowly turned in the direction of the Southern Democrats, mm-hmm. you know. So Democrat Party today, you're absolutely right, is very much a party of race politics. I mean, where was the last time we saw that race politics is the central issue of a major political party? We have to go to Nazi Germany. That's it's all it. about race. That's right. You see, well, this is what the ra- what the Democratic Party today is. It's all about race. Whether it's Black Lives Matter, Antifa, diversity training, multiculturalism, pushing the argument of white privilege, and so on and so forth. It is completely race-oriented, gender politics, transgender. In other words, the Democrat politics is a politics of group identity and collectivism. It goes completely contrary to the fundamental values of the Republican order. Did Trump really refuse to denounce white supremacy? Here's the clip. You have repeatedly criticized the the vice president for not specifically calling out Antifa and other left-wing extremist groups. But are you willing tonight to condemn white supremacists and militia groups? Okay, 
First off, Chris Wallace asked the question as if Trump has never denounced racists like the KKK and white supremacists. Wallace even prefaces the question with Trump calling out Biden for never denouncing Antifa, which he never has. But he doesn't proceed to ask Biden if he's willing to denounce Antifa. He goes after Trump. And Trump's immediate answer is sure. Let's watch that part again. But are you willing tonight to condemn white supremacists and militia groups? Sure. So Trump denounced white supremacy immediately upon being asked the question. And just in case you haven't seen a compilation of Trump disavowing racists, here you go. Well, you've got David Duke just joined, a bigot, a racist, a problem. I mean, this is not exactly the people you want in your party. Yeah, David Duke and all were disavowed. I disavowed him on Friday. I disavowed him right after that because I thought if there was any question. I didn't even know he endorsed me. David Duke endorsed me? Okay. All right. I disavow, okay? I disavowed David Duke, and I disavowed him the day before at a major news conference. Uh, David Duke is a bad person who I disavowed on numerous occasions over the years. I'm saying to myself, how many times do I have to can you continue to disavow people? So are you prepared right now to make a clear and unequivocal statement renouncing the support of all white supremacists? Of course I am. Of course I am. I mean, there's nobody that's done so much for equality as I have. Racism is evil. And those who cause violence in its name are criminals and thugs, including the KKK, neo-Nazis, white supremacists. But this is about David Duke all weekend long on Facebook, on Twitter. And really? obviously it's never enough. I disavowed him every time I speak to somebody virtually. And you know, they just keep it going. They keep it going. And I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis and the white nationalists because they should be condemned totally. After all that Trump has done for historical black colleges and universities, signing the First Step Act and creating opportunity zones, it's absurd to think that Trump is a racist. It's a lie to say that Trump refused to denounce white supremacy. He's done it many times over and over again. The headlines should actually read, Biden refuses to denounce Antifa. And that's the simple truth. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. And just before the break, Salim had identified our problem with the, with the Democrats, that they're all about race. They are about group rights, about basically collectivism as opposed to what the Republicans should be in favor of, individualism and freedom and capitalism, which is how I see the right properly defined. When did the Democrats abandon the idea of the individual? Like, what is that about? Well, I would say, you know, the whole progressivist agenda is not based upon the individual, it's based upon taking control of the state and redistributing the wealth to the people uh, in the name of collective interests, collective values, uh, rather than, you know, mm -hmm. the whole notion that our freedom based on individual rights is where our society, that is the American society, American Republic, all the Republican order is built upon. It's also the source of our wealth that they want to redistribute. You're not going to get near as much wealth to redistribute in a collectivist system as you would in an individualist one, even if that were possible. It's a contradiction. But Yes, absolutely. I mean, but then again, you know, in the larger context, the, the people 
who would defend that position are the people now who are looking at the world as a marketplace and not not the nation state, the boundaries of the nation state. So there has been a shift in terms of the ownership class, you might say, the billionaire oligarch, you know. Mm-hmm. For them, the market is not United States, the market is the whole world. And that's that's been the trade-off, that's been the way the things have been mo- moving. And Ironically, it is this class, this billionaire class, that is more and more involved and invested in the Democratic Party. And this is where uh, the energy of the Democratic Party comes together with the changing nature of global economy and, and global politics. Well, this brings up the whole question of what's being called the, the Great Reset, or whatever they like to call it, yeah. which is really communism, socialism, collectivism, replacing individualism right through and through on a global scale. That, to me, is an obscenity at at its heart. But even that, who's our real enemy? Is it the Democrats? Or, you know, I keep hearing the names come up, George Soros, Bill Gates, the whole gang. They all seem to be working together. They all seem to be plotting against us. Is Is that a fiction or is that really happening? No, I mean, that's, that's exactly what is happening. I mean, you, you can see that the globalist class and the glo- proponents of globalism are the people who, who belong to that billionaire oligarch class. I mean, the Bill Gates, the mm-hmm. Jeff Bezos, the Josh Soros, the owners of the high-tech corporations based in the Silicon Valley, the Google, the Yahoo, and, and so on and so forth. This is also the Davos crowd. This is, this is the crowd whose agenda has been to basically do away with the notion of the nation state and national sovereignty and have a central institution that is now the United Nation provide the policy and the legitimacy for that those policy for the rest of the world, you know, and it is through and under the banner of the UN that the agenda is being presented. And our children over the last 50 years have been taught that we now need to take care of the planet. So the taking care of the planet supersedes the interests uh, of taking care of one's country, or one's nation state, or one's people. That is the profound disconnect between the elite and the people today in the Western societies. If anybody can even believe that BS for a minute, nobody's taking care of the damn planet. Let's, Let's be realistic here. When they say that, they're taking care of their own interests. That's all they're doing. They want to. They want to get their money. They want to force us to buy everything from their uh, vaccines to, you name it, right? And they want to monopolize the market. It's just crony, 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 crony on a world scale. That's what we've been. That's what I think. I think that's what humanity's been fighting since day one. Yes, I mean you know you can you and it's you not can, capitalism. You, you can <laughs> you can on 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 the reflect say that this is all BS, and I, I I share the sense of the BS. But what we're trying to understand and analyze is how the politics is being played out. I mean we have, it is being played out in an open democratic society such as Canada, such as Britain, such as the United States. It is not being played out in a third world society you know, with despots and dynastic rulers 
uh, or military rulers, you know. No, because they're already about, at the stage that they want to push us. Yeah, too. so so we have to understand that this this politics that is being played right here in the most advanced countries of the world, Canada is a G7 country. Canada is one of the oldest democracies. What is happening to the question that you are raising? And yes, it is BS, but here it is. In our parliament in Ottawa, the four parties that are, or five actually, if you take Bloc Quebecois into account, but that's a separatist party, you might say, and you put it aside for the discussion. The four parties, the two major parties, the Liberal, the Conservative, and then the New Democrats and the Green, they are all bought into the globalist agenda. They've all signed up on, for instance, climate change. Mm -hmm. They're all signed up on what is happening with COVID-19 lockdown. They're all signed up with the UN Global Compact on Migration and Immigration and UN Agenda 2030 and the Millennium Goal and Sustainable Development. So if you or anyone else might say all of this is BS, but there is nobody in Canadian politics. The PPC, People's Party of Canada, only had a run the first time in the 2019 election, and I was a candidate for it. Mm -hmm. But PPC did not elect anybody to the parliament. So there is no representative voice in the Canadian parliament that stands up and speaks out in exposing the globalist agenda, which is basically taking away Canadian national sovereignty. In the United States, that has been the struggle until the coming of President Trump. On the one side, you had the Republican Party in terms of simply defense of free market and capitalism, they opposed the Democrats, where the Democrats were more collectivist-oriented. But both of them were signed up in defending a uniparty interest of who will govern the United States, and that would be the establishment politicians in Washington. Why the immense attack on Trump right from 2015 primary is because Trump is the first outsider who's actually defending the American Constitution, the American Republic, on the basis of we the people. No question. So, so we have to be serious about the fact that in a free society, the disconnect between our political establishment and the people, the disconnect between the elite and the people, the disconnect between the media ownership, the academia elite, the academic elite, and the people is the disconnect between people that seeks to defend their country and those who have given up upon the country because they see now the planet as the ethical imperative. Whether it is true or false, we'll get into a different set of debate and discussion. But a thing has to be justified and legitimated, and that's what they're doing. They're legitimating their own interests on the basis of the ethical imperative of defending the planet from us, the people, devastating it. I understand, but isn't that the source of the problem? I mean, for a democracy to work, you have to have a, a, an informed electorate and not a stupid one that believes everything that's stupid. And so if you want to get elected and everybody's being stupid or totally so misinformed they don't know what's going on, the only way you're going to get those folks to vote for you is to appeal to their ignorance. But they're totally immersed in collectivism. 
They do not obviously understand their history. They don't understand the source of their wealth, why the economy works. So naturally, we have four parties in, in the parliament who are all going to appeal to the same electorate because they never lead. They follow. And what we need, I think, are political parties that lead, as Trump does individually, because he's setting a, a different direction and a different pace. And I, that's just not happening in Canada. I don't, I don't know. I, I'm not very <laughs> yeah. optimistic about what's going on in this country. Yeah, the easy, the easy response is that the people are ignorant. You know, that, and that's what has been, in some ways, the problem of people on the side of individual rights and freedom, which is what you and I stand for mm -hmm. in that larger philosophical sense. The question is, what happened that the people, it's not about their ignorance, but the people have shifted and moved in the direction which is more collectivist. It is a result of education. I keep reminding people, and I've talked about this on your show, this did not happen overnight, Bob. This happened over at least three, four generations. We have to go back to, again, the education system. The left, they understood better than the people who, are, who call themselves conservative or who call themselves defending the traditional order based upon individual rights and freedom, that is our constitutional government, the American constitutional government. The left understood that if you are going to change the system, then you have to reach out to the three-year-olds in the kindergarten school who will then when they are adults and begin to vote and then become, you know, mature citizens, they will have been sufficiently indoctrinated to act on the arguments of the left, not out of ignorance, but out of their own interest as they understand the world. This is why the 2021 Davos Summit now, 2021, it's coming right up after Christmas, the Davos Summit and the Great Reset. They need President Joe the Catholic Biden to hand us, the United States, over to them if he wins this election. This is why they're trying so hard to take Donald Trump down. They need to reset everything, including the politics of the United States, the governance of the United States. Besides that, old Joe the Catholic Biden has always been a New World Order guy. The affirmative task we have now is, uh, is to actually um, uh, create uh, uh, a new world order. And of course, friends, we hear a lot about the Green New Deal and all of that, right? We hear Francis with his Laudato Si encyclical and all of that. They're all working together, aren't they? The Davos 2021 Summit works closely with the, something called Climate Reality Project. And guess who runs that? the respected trustee of the World Economic Forum, Albert Gore. I can't believe this guy is still knocking around. It's unbelievable. It's almost, it's almost it's like a spoof, isn't it? I mean, uh, and it's the same. And Davos brings them all in, all the ghouls from the globalist swamp. Our house is still on fire. Your inaction is fueling the flames by the hour. And we are telling you to act as if you loved your children above all else. And of course, drum roll please, Davos, Switzerland has its elder statesman, George Soros. 
George Soros's uh, dinner at Davos is a bit of an institution at this event. We do, uh, he usually comes out with strong criticism of something uh, that he feels is troubling for the state of the world. He didn't hold back either when talking about the US president, saying that he was describing him as a con man, an ultimate narcissist. Even the fate of the world uh, could be at stake in 2020 and the years to come as well, perhaps referencing there the upcoming, of course, election in the United States too. So George Soros really, you know, using his platform here at Davos to speak to those, you know, rich and famous who come to the World Economic Forum. Uh, we know that he's uh, in the past has been a major donor to the Democratic Party in the United States. He didn't say anything about which candidate he might be supporting in the Democratic primary, uh, but certainly uh, no holding back on his criticism of President Trump. And what's this all about? I think, you know, I think we all sort of in our hearts, we kind of realize what's going on here. This is not about COVID anymore. This is about a, a reset of everything. And the United States of America is in the way right now of all of it. So they are destabilizing our entire country. The Great Reset, then, politically, economically, it wants to implement massive socialist programs. And, of course, global climate change along the lines of the Green New Deal. The regulation is going to be unbelievable. And no one, no country, will be allowed to opt out of this. Why? Well, if an individual country opts out of the Great Reset... They're going to be endangering the whole world community, the whole world, through future pandemics that will be caused by climate change, Al Gore says, and overpopulation, says Bill Gates. You see how it works? No country will be allowed to opt out. This is what we're facing in November. Do you see why there's so much hate for Trump? Because with all of his faults, again, he's the capitalist. He's not the globalist. He never will be one of them which is why he pulled the United States out of the Paris Climate Agreement. Donald Trump pulled the United States out of the World Health Organization. That's Bill Gates and company. And now he's threatening to pull the United States out of the World Trade Organization. People say, yeah, well, Donald Trump got married twice. He's a bad guy. Really? <laughs> he's right in the face of the demons on this, friends. Nobody ever said he was a saint. He's knocking the sacred cows of the United Nations down all over the world right now. The General Assembly routinely votes 185 against the United States on almost everything right now. And you remember, speaking of the United Nations, in November of 2019, again, right before COVID landed, Trump went to the UN on the floor of the General Assembly, and he declared war on globalism. Wise leaders always put the good of their own people and their own country. First, the future does not belong to globalists. The future belongs to patriots. And shortly after the speech at the UN, Donald Trump delivered, what do you think happened? The coronavirus was unleashed on the world, and Trump's booming U.S. economy went on life support. Do you think that was an accident? we do to fight back go to work go back to school if you're healthy take off the mask and for heaven's sake go back to church and pray that trump wins in november that's what the reset was on that's what the russia hoax was all about that's what that's what the, the uh, impeachment hoax was all about don't you see for four years i've been trying to stop this man because if he strengthens america if he makes it great again if he brings the economy back again the reset won't happen 
the new world order is going to be set way back. Who knows when they're going to have another COVID opportunity like this one again, and they know it. So ask yourselves why they hate this man. These folks, these men, they hate God. They hate the unborn. They hate the traditional family. They hate you. And they hate Donald Trump. To follow up on your final comment before our last break, Salim, I'm reminded of the old saying that I like to often refer to, ain't so much what people don't know that gets them into trouble, but what they do know that ain't so. <laughs> right? And when I was talking about the ignorance of the public, I, I wasn't saying they were stupid. That was not my implication. They are misinformed. They're misinformed because of the nonsense they're being taught in the schools, and above all, the daily brainwashing that's going on in our media, and worse, the fact that folks like you and I are having our voices kept from the public every way that the left wing can possibly prevent us from being heard. And that is just not, that's not even democratic on, in the most remote imaginations of what that term might be. So I see our big issue today getting the truth out to people, letting them know that Trump is not this person that they're painting him out to be. The more I look into the man, the more I admire him, to be honest with you. The stuff we have been told about him is so false. False doesn't even come close to, <laughs> close to describing it. And I think we're, we're experiencing a Gotterdammerung of a, of, a, of a second nature. I don't think we've quite explained what that means to a lot of our listeners, too, what you meant by Gotterdammerung. This was Hitler's strategy against his own people when he understood that he wasn't going to win the war anymore. Is, is that correct? Yeah, I mean, uh, he, was, he was prepared to bring the roof down upon Germany because he felt that the German people did not uh, live up to his expectation or what he wanted to see, that the German people had failed the agenda of the Nazi party of the Third Reich, and he was going to fight to the last man and, and bring the roof down and, and lay waste to Germany. Death of the gods, Gotha Damaru, yeah. you know, I mean. So the Democratic Party is willing to, you know do the same thing in the sense, you know, with their agenda. They know that in an open and free discussion where the media, and, and these are the big if, where the media is honest and objective and only does reporting, not the interpretation, mm -hmm. you know, carry the word, report it. Where the academia is honest, you know, that allows a free debate instead of, you know, shutting down the free debate. The whole free speech issue is, a, is, is at stake right now. In America, at least, they have the First Amendment right, and so in that sense, there is still a defense of the free speech. In Canada, we don't have it, you know. So the Democratic Party know that in an open and free debate, the facts are not on their side, and enough people will wake to defeat them electorally. But if they can control the debate through the media, through the academia, they can bring the roof down on the American people in transforming America into a post-constitution, post-Republican order. That is the transformation that they have been working towards. That's what I mean by Gautam Damaru. Yeah. That a complete contempt for American history and for American values, and in that sense for the American people, the majority people. Sure, they're, 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 what, did, what did Hillary call them? The deplorables, the for deplorables, heaven's sakes, right? Exactly. So here it is. I mean, what happened in the last month, for instance, you know, one of the most significant things that the president did was he put a halt and stopped 
any further diversity training in yeah. the American federal government, you know, agency. What was diversity training all about? It is all about, you know, bringing through this cultural Marxist lens to the American people that the American society is systemically racist. This is what has been taught to the American people. That's what I said, beginning mm. from the age of three, sure. that says climate change, and there is no debate and discussion about it. The very people, the very people, the only case in the global history that stood up and fought for the emancipation of slavery are being called, you know, bigots and racists. Of course, yeah. And systemically racist. You see, nowhere else had there been a, a war that was fought, a president that was killed, Abraham Lincoln, after he had emancipated the slave. I mean, slavery has been the human condition around the world. It was only in America that fight took place. Sure. And it was Americans, that is, white Americans, who took the guns against white Americans who were in the slave states and liberated, emancipated slavery. That's the historical record. And that's the truth of the matter, and yet you have so many people on the left who are oblivious to it or who just don't want to acknowledge no, but, it. No, but they've turned it around. They've made it into this whole diversity training, this whole multiculturalism. Bob, I wrote that about But that doesn't but, change but history. This is a collectivist idea. The whole diversity training is part of I, multiculturalism. Well, it's, right? I call it racism. Well, well right. yes, it is racism because the whole notion of multiculturalism is based upon group identity. Yeah. And if all cultures are equal, then there is no value that makes, separates and distinguishes the culture of enlightenment, the culture of freedom from other cultures where freedom is not even taken into account. Well, this is what I think the whole anti-white thing is based on. They're not talking about our skin color. They're talking about Western culture that they equate Precisely. with supposed, Precisely. you know, the Anglosphere, okay, as we've Precisely. talked so many times in the past, and because most Brits, etc., and Europeans have white skin happens to be a fluke of history that they happen to have that color skin and, and that social development, right? Precisely, but who are talking about this? It is happening in the most advanced democracy yeah. in the world, the United States in Canada, and who are the ones who are pushing this agenda? This is not somebody coming from Zimbabwe in Africa, or, you know, somebody from deep south in India, you know. These are people, blonde-eyed, uh, blonde-haired and blue-eyed academics, That's right. media people, who have been pushing this agenda. And what is this agenda all about? This agenda is about collectivism, group identity, and ultimately it is the agenda that is cultural Marxism at play. This is not being taught in China. This is not being taught in India. This is not being taught in the Middle East. This is being taught in the United States of America. You know, <laughs> the consequences of that is an electorate that is willing to go along with a democratic agenda. At least, you know, half of the United States is willing to go along with that agenda. And the question comes down to why. And that's my point I'm making. This is a 50-plus years of education that has gone into our system in which, you know, our society has been indoctrinated with the arguments and with the ideology 
which is Marxism or neo-Marxism or however you want to call it. And, and, and that is what is leading to where in the United States, the election of President Trump has given a renewed energy to the people, we the people, to stand up and push back against the democratic agenda. But the Democrats, given their resources and their control of the media and the academia, are willing to bring the roof down upon the American people. And this is extremely visible. It happened after the 2016 election. There was no reprise, no respite to the election of President Trump. It was 24 by 7 by 365 days, circular attack on President Trump to delegitimize him, ultimately a fake impeachment, purely on a partisan vote that was brought against him, you know. There was no constitutional requirement met of crimes and misdemeanor, but yet they brought that impeachment uh, against President Trump at the beginning of this year. And they're going to do the same thing. They're going to lose the election, but they've created the ground where they're going to be out, calling out that this presidency is illegitimate, that this presidency is one in which he goes against the will of the people. Why? Because he's racist. Yeah, it's so ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And then we have this COVID thing that they're using as a cover, which, of course, sprang upon us, just as you predicted, when Trump was on the ascendancy. And because every- it was a pretext. Yeah. They gave them the, 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 the muscles to engage in lockdowns and in their authoritarian politics. But what's interesting is the whole world has been dragged into this, all because, I think, of Trump. Because Trump is the one man in the world that's standing up against this whole movement worldwide. Well, well, the whole world, yes. But look at it. We have to then, you know, parse the situation. Yeah, unfortunately, we don't have all that time. But countries which are, which are, I'm talking. Let's talk about the advanced countries and not about the third world countries. The countries which are given into the globalist agenda have gone through with this lockdown and authoritarian measure. But you can see Japan. You can see Sweden. You can see Denmark. You can see. Taiwan, you can see a whole number of countries, you know, which have refused to follow that. And they have done pretty well. In fact, they have done much better. And you can see that inside the United sure. States. When you, when you contrast, say, New York, California with Florida and Georgia and Texas, I mean, almost a third of the American debt has come from basically three states, yeah. Yeah. New York, New Jersey, and California. So, Yes, the agenda of the globalists has been to bring about a crash on the global economy. Uh, the target is Trump, and they're going to do everything. That's what I predicted in February, that this coronavirus or Wuhan flu was a deliberate bioweapon shot taken by the Chinese against the Americans, against President Trump. Well, I'm sure we've got a lot more to talk about this on future shows, Salim, and I thank you for joining us today. And whether Trump testing positive with an electoral victory on November 3rd will make any difference to the left when it happens is a drama yet to be played out. But our own dramatic narrative on the whole pandemic story continues again next week when you will be welcome to join us on our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. 
Color it to black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be alright What you don't know won't hurt you And if it does hurt you, at least you won't know it That's right, folks, censorship is your friend Join the crusade the next time someone says sticks and stones can break our bones, but words can never hurt us, set them straight. Hit them with a stick or a stone. <laughs> <laughs>